When you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, please. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples and he's asking them a question about his identity and he says to them in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I love this text. Um, because this text really helps us understand how and why we do church. It helps us understand something of what it looks like to live as the people of God demonstrating his kingdom. And uh, I want to unpack this just for us a little bit um, as, as we begin to just figure out and as we begin to discover what it means to be the community of God for the sake of changing nations. How many of you know that God has called us to be those who would disciple whole ethnic groups and we would begin to be those who would disciple nations? That's what the Bible says. It's not just about an individual experience. It is about understanding what it means for us to release the culture of heaven through everything that we do in everything that we do so that his kingdom would come and everything would be redeemed and be as God always intended it to be. And I love this text because all of Israel, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, was in expectation. They were in expectation for the Messiah, the one who would come and make things all right. The one who would come and release something of God's rule and gracious reign on the earth to make that which uh, was covered in injustice, to make that which was covered in sickness, to make that which was covered in pain suddenly come right. And so the nation of Israel was beginning to hear some rumors of God doing something. Suddenly he was beginning to speak again through um, uh, John the prophet, who, who was the predecessor to Jesus, prophesying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Something was beginning to stir. Something was beginning to happen. They were in expectation of this king who would come with the government of God on his shoulders. This king who would come and make things right. This king who would release shalom. Now, the word shalom is the word for peace, but that doesn't just mean the absence of warfare. You see, in Jewish understanding, shalom literally uh, meant that God would come with such an incredible dynamic of peace that businesses would flourish, that communities and families would be made whole, that, that where they were sick, they would be healed, that shalom meant that, that God would make things the way he always intended them to be, that injustice would be destroyed because suddenly the peace of God of which the government that Jesus carried would be displayed and all things would be made new. That's the life that we're called to. That's what it means for us to live in the kingdom, that we're releasing the shalom of heaven wherever we go. And so they were expecting this. They were expecting something of God's presence upon this person that would come and overturn for them in that moment the Roman Empire and release the government of heaven. And uh, there was a particular understanding that... Um, 
the way that they would know this person would come was that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, would rest and remain on this particular one, this Messiah. The word for Messiah uh, literally means the one who was smeared and covered with. And so when Peter gets this incredible revelation, you are the Christ, Christ is not just Jesus' surname. Christ was a designation of who he was and what he carried. More importantly, who he was and who he carried. And the revelation that Peter gets is one that is so transformative, so powerful, that if we get that, I believe that many of our churches would begin to operate at a different level of transformation and power because they understand that the one who lives in us is exactly the same one who lived in Christ while he was on the earth. You see, for Peter, he gets this incredible revelation from heaven that this is the Christ. And the Jewish audience that would have been listening would have understood that Christ was a designation, a term that meant Messiah, the one who was covered with the Holy Spirit. And so we see at Jesus' baptism, this beautiful moment where the heavens are torn open, the Bible says. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I I love that that Jesus up until that point had done nothing significant for God. He hadn't healed the sick at that point. He hadn't done anything significant other than be a good carpenter. And the father says, I take great pleasure in this one who is my son. I, I want to encourage you that the good news is that Jesus, that God the father took pleasure in you long before you did anything for him. He, he is pleased with you long before you could ever do anything to make him pleased with you. And so we see the heavens open and John, uh, the one who's writing the book says, uh, I would not have known that this was the son of God. I would not have known that this was the Christ. Let's just see the Holy Spirit rest and remain on him. That word remain literally means tabernacle. In other words, the Holy Spirit moved in to Jesus. And the key recognizing factor for anyone who would have been watching that this was the Messiah, anyone who would have known scriptures like Isaiah chapter 11, where it talks about on him whom the spirit rests and remains, the spirit of the Lord will come upon him, the spirit of wisdom and counsel, the spirit of uh, seven different uh, expressions of the Holy Spirit that would rest on Jesus in Isaiah 11. They would have known the throwbacks to, to overtures and, and scriptural um, expressions in Isaiah speaking about the Messiah would come and the Holy Spirit would rest on him and remain on him. He'd be smeared on him. Now, in South Africa, we have a thing called a bride. Any South Africans here? Yeah, they should be South Africans in London because they're all here. Um, <laughs> now, a bride is um, like a barbecue, except we have real meat. <laughs> all right. And what we do with our, our meat, our lovely filet steak, is that we get a good hearty chunk of steak. And we pour a little bit of olive oil, preferably imported from Israel, with some red wine. I was just joking about the Israel thing, sorry. Red wine, garlic, a little bit of rosemary. Mm. And we let the marinade soak into the flesh of that meat overnight so that when you eat the flesh of the meat, what you taste is the marinade. 
we anoint that piece of meat. <laughs> you see, the person of Jesus and, and the understanding of the Jewish people that were listening, trying to figure out what was going on, when, when this revelation comes to Peter, you are the Christ, the revelation that Peter was getting was not just that this was someone coming to do something for God. It was not just that this is the savior for Israel. It was that this is the one in whom the spirit now dwells. This is the one for the first time since the beginning where the Holy Spirit is now pleased to make his abode in flesh. That the anointing, that which marinated Jesus, empowered his flesh to do the extraordinary. You see, the revelation that Peter is getting here is so profound, it's literally, he begins to understand that for the first time ever in history, because you must remember, under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit rested and remained on people for a season, and then lifted, resting and remained for mission, and then lifted. Even in the Garden of Eden, the Holy Spirit walked amongst Adam and Eve. But the beauty of the new covenant is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just walk amongst us, he now dwells within us. And the revelation that Peter gets here is that you are the one who's been smeared, marinated, covered, so that your flesh, which up until this point, up until his baptism point, was ordinary, now suddenly becomes extraordinary because it's filled with the very person and power of God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And this is how I'm going to build my church. This is the revelation that heaven has now met with ordinary flesh to transform everything around it. When you became a Christian, friends, the beauty of the gospel is this, that Jesus by his spirit, now has moved in, tabernacled, made himself at home in you, so that just like him, you are now smeared, covered, and filled with the person of the Holy Spirit to transform everything around you. That is how we build church. You see, the Bible says it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by the Spirit. You see, pragmatism and strategy will only take you so far. But then you need the empowering person and presence of the Holy Spirit to move in, to dwell. It's why this is not just a community centered around the purpose of transforming London. It's not just a community centered around the love of good coffee. It's not just a community centered around doing good works. This is the new community of the Spirit. Churches don't grow because our marketing and social media and our Insta stories are so good. Churches grow because there's a living witness of the person of the Holy Spirit in its community. And the revelation that Peter gets that you are Christ the anointed one is the revelation that should be the foundation of how we build church. You see, God has not called you to live a purpose-driven life. 
God has not called you to live a principle-driven life. God has called you to live a presence-shaped life. Because the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. What I love about this particular picture is that the revelation that Peter gets about who Jesus is, so he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That revelation redefines how he sees himself. Because Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood is not revealed this key, but my Father is in heaven. And by the way, this revelation is the rock on which I'm going to build, and I now call you a rock. You see, when we get a revelation that Jesus was fully man and fully God, I want us to understand that very clearly. It's a wonderful theological mystery. But when we begin to understand that his life lived on the earth was empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit, when you understand that the life that Jesus, the miracles that he did, the multiplication of food that he did, the way he treated women, the poor, the outsider, every single aspect of his life was empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. It changes the way you think about yourself because the same Holy Spirit that authenticated Jesus as the Son of God is the same Holy Spirit that authenticates us as the sons and daughters of God. It means that how we see ourselves has to begin to change. That we are the carriers of the impossibilities of heaven for our communities, for our churches, for our uh, cities. That was a good point. (laughs) I love what the Bible says in in Isaiah chapter 11. And and this is the beautiful thing. And Jesus models this so well. It, It says that out of the roots of, of, um, of Jesse, out of the stump, out of the root of David, sorry, out of the stump of Jesse will come a shoot, a little shoot, who will govern from David's throne. It's a beautiful picture because I think if you've ever been in a forest and you walk around and you see a tree that's been cut down and a little shoot popping through, that shoot is super flimsy, super vulnerable, and not very strong. And the beauty and the illustration that I'm wanting to to bring across is that the beauty of Holy Spirit moving in, becoming part of you, becoming to to live on the inside of you, doing the extraordinary, is that it's not dependent upon your strength. In fact, the line of David had all been almost destroyed. Yet out out of that line comes this little shoot from David's line. And Jesus, born in obscurity, born to a poor family, born in a circumstance that was not good, born into bondage by a government that was illegitimate. Somehow, in the wisdom of God, he takes the weakest things and he empowers that. For those of you who don't know, I was born with uh, what's called Pierre Robin syndrome, which meant I had a cleft palate, which has impacted my ability to hear and my ability to speak. I'm so glad that in the wisdom of God, the two weakest parts of my life, he has now enabled by the power of the Spirit as a tool of kingdom breakthrough and advance against the kingdom of darkness. You see, Jesus, up until the point he gets filled with the Spirit, is not charismatic enough to gather a crowd. 
He's a carpenter. That's all he did. But something happens when he gets filled with the Spirit that transforms and changes everything so that that which seems weak in the eyes of people suddenly becomes empowered by the Holy Spirit. I get to, I mean, it's crazy. I was born in South Africa under an apartheid system, which meant that the, the color of my skin didn't afford me the opportunity to go to university. Yet I find myself sitting in towers in Singapore and Dubai and all over the world talking to billionaires with more degrees than a thermometer. <laughs> and they're asking me what they should do with their millions because they need to hear from God. And there is nothing on the inside of me that qualifies me to be there. I was just recently at Oxford University earlier the, uh, last year speaking to a group of about 40 PhD students, and I'm thinking, sweet Jesus, I just about made it through the last year of my school. <laughs> I get to sit in context of Bible schools, in theological context, where I'm teaching on things to do with the Holy Spirit, and I haven't even done a course in Hebrew or Greek. <laughs> because you see, God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. And this revelation that Peter gets that this is Christ, the, the, the one standing in front of me is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That revelation is what changes the world. You see, sometimes I, I wonder if we believe in an unholy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And we sometimes engage with the person of Holy Spirit as the one who's at the bottom of the rung, the kind of butler of heaven, does the dirty work for the Trinity. When actually, he is the God who empowers you to be the sons of God. Kathy did so well earlier, telling us the Holy Spirit comes to convict us, convince us, not of our sin, but of our sonship. When you begin to understand something of the person of the Holy Spirit empowering you to be the sons and daughters of God, the impossible becomes possible. In my culture, when I see my dad, um, he will walk up to me and give me a kiss on the lips and say, hi son, welcome to see you. Uh, well, nice to see you, welcome back home. Uh, it's part of what we do. He kisses me. Now, if any other guy came up to me and kissed me on the lips, there might be a few problems. <laughs> the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15, we see this beautiful picture where Luke is writing, and uh, you see the prodigal, as it were, or the son who wasted his inheritance. The word prodigal means lavish, and the only one who's lavishing that story is the father. Comes up to him. And the Bible says the father ran toward him and began to kiss him, fell on him and kissed him. And went, mwah, mwah. And, and the, 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 um, the nuance there, he kept on kissing him. I love that picture. Luke also writes the story of Acts. And he uses the exact same phrase as when the father fell on him and kissed him as when the Holy Spirit fell on the early church. I want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit 
It's the kiss of the Father to you. And he, the Bible says that he comes to us to identify that we are sons. And if we're sons, we are heirs. It means that everything that Jesus got for us at the cross, by virtue of his grace and kindness, is now ours. <laughs> I mean, we could go home now. That, that point right there was just amazing. <laughs> but for many of us, I love what the theologian R.A. Clary says. He says, many of us relate to the Holy Spirit only in terms of his power as a force. And if we began to relate to him as a person, we would stop saying, Holy Spirit, can we have more of you? Rather, we'd say, Holy Spirit, have more of me. You see, I'm wanting to live in a place where I am fully empowered in the person of the Holy Spirit. The reason we see miracles, the reason why I get to consult in political and business and creative context is not because I'm degree, not because I'm qualified, but simply because the Holy Spirit saw a little guy from Cape Town who had no massive prospects before him and said, I like the look of him, I'm going to use him. Your weakness qualifies you. And the beauty of living in this revelation of sonship, that see, the Holy Spirit identified Jesus as the Christ and as the son of the living God. And he comes to identify with us that we now live in the place of sonship. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says that, and I paraphrase this, he says that we are exalted into the exact same place as Jesus is right now. And that sounds ludicrous and absolutely wild, yet that's exactly what the gospel means. And in the same way that Christ is being exalted, we now, by way of the fact that we're in him, are exalted into the same place. How many of you know that you are seated in the same place that Jesus is seated in Trinitarian intimacy? You get to overhear Trinitarian conversations. It's why the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But, but he has revealed these things to us by his spirit. In other words, the unsearchable, the unknowable now becomes an opportunity for those of us who have been filled with the spirit to begin to search it out. That is outrageous. Jesus, when he's walking to get baptized, John says to him, you should baptize me. And Jesus says that the scriptures might be fulfilled, you need to baptize me. John had just been talking about this baptism of the Spirit. Just been talking about this coming of the Spirit that would fully possess a people so that they would do the extraordinary. And he says, I want that baptism to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't have that. A little bit later, Jesus says, those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. And I believe that the reason why we get the privilege of being greater than John the Baptist, even as the very least in the kingdom, it's because John the Baptist could only point out who Jesus was to a crowd of people. We, 
get to demonstrate who Jesus is because of the infilling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Where John could not enter into the baptism of the Spirit, every single child of God, whether you've been a Christian for a day or for 10 years, gets to live in the overflowing encounter of being filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The revelation that he is now empowering flesh with the supernatural endowment of Holy Spirit power to do the extraordinary. And then he says, I'll give you keys of authority for the kingdom. I want to encourage you that you and I, as I learned in my Pentecostal church, have been authorized and deputized. (laughs) You've got authority to change your world because of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you that you'll do more by accident than you'll ever do on purpose. Because living in the life of the Spirit, I'll try and land now, please help me, Lord Jesus, land well. It's very simple. It means acknowledging his presence. It means inviting him. Holy Spirit is the most inconvenient person I know. Katya and I, um, when we first started dating, uh, lived about an hour, two hours apart from each other. And so it was kind of a long-distance relationship. I was doing a lot of travel, and so we, we really value time together. And... Um, on the weekends when Katya would come, come up to Bedford where I was living at the time, um, I would make sure that my house, my bachelor's house, looked pristine. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. Things were dusted. They probably had been dusted for a few days. And I would then you know, make sure there's a little bit of Ella Fitzgerald playing in the background. Guys, if you're single, take notes right now. A little bit of Ella Fitzgerald playing in the background. I'd make sure that the roast lamb was cooking just right. It'd be amazing. Just food and good glass of wine. It was just incredible. I was the man. <laughs> and Katya would ring the doorbell and I'd open the door. I'd give her a little peck on the cheek because we weren't married so I couldn't give her a lingering kiss. And... Um, <laughs> And she would come in, we'd have an incredible meal together. I mean, it, I, mean I was impressed with wasn't I, honey? And um, I mean, it was just incredible. I was like, man, I'm the man. And then, you know, right about, about 11, 12, Kathy would go, I need to get in the car, I'm going to have to drive back to London now, it's going to be a long time. And then, to be fair, I did give her a lingering kiss, and uh, she would go home. And uh, it was incredible, because she would go home, I would close the door and think, I'm going to leave the dishes for tomorrow. <laughs> which probably meant the following week. And, you know, I was just like, it doesn't matter. Everything went back to the way it would normally go. And it was lovely dating Katya like that. Just incredible. We, had, we had some good memories of good food, good wine. And then we got married and Katya moved in. And my favorite leather couch moved out. And my wife is a brilliant interior designer. She really is. She's got a much bigger style than me. And things began to look really cool. And it was, she just rearranged the furniture and all the things that I thought actually was quite classy. I suddenly realized it's probably not that nice. It's a bit naff. And everything changed when she moved in. She came to Tabernacle with me. I wonder if we as the church love dating the Holy Spirit more than we do tabernacling with him.
Because when he moves in, he's going to rearrange the furniture of our heart. And sent the Holy Spirit just here right now. You see, we have to move from a visitation mindset to a habitation mindset. What set Jesus apart as the Son of God was that Holy Spirit tabernacled with him, lived on the inside of him, empowered him to do the extraordinary. What sets us apart as the sons of God is that Holy Spirit tabernacles with us. It means that our agenda submits to his agenda. It means that how we live suddenly is led by him, not decided by us. It means that the way you do church is not going to look the same every Sunday. It means that the way you do community in your, in your home groups or life groups is not going to look the same all the time because Holy Spirit is wanting to lead and guide us. It means that your call to the marketplace is as holy as your call to the ministry place because Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. It means that what you're doing, making money or not making money, is holy to God because the kingdom of God is expressed in the person of Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the, the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. Theologians often call him the eschatos spirit. Eschatos speaks of the end breaking in now. In other words, when the fullness of God's kingdom comes, all of that is found in the person of Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you it's very simple. We started off this morning with peak ending the worship time saying, who's thirsty? Something's wrong when we've become satisfied. We must be thirsty for a living, breathing, ongoing, tabernacling with Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand. Here's the truth, friends. That we don't do church because we've got liturgy. We don't do church because we've got structure. We do church because the Holy Spirit is amongst us. And right now, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to rest upon many of you afresh. And we just touched something of God a moment ago. Just catch it preaches we went after healing. There's some of you right now, you've not been able to pray in tongues just yet. I believe God's going to unlock that gift for some of you. I know that tongues doesn't make you more holy than the person next door to you. It's just simply a language that God wants to give you. I get that. For many of you, you're going to begin to realize that your baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an experience that you had many years ago. It's a dwelling place. That we are called to be filled with the Spirit consistently. Even right now, God's just beginning to flood hearts and minds. So Holy Spirit, won't you come right now? We do not want to do church without your manifested presence. We do not want to be a community without the distinguishing factor, the authenticating mark of your spirit, making us the sons and daughters of God. 
So fill your people right now. Fill your people right now. Release gifts of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, and might. Let it begin to, I think that you're not holding out on prophetic gifts today. You're not holding out on evangelistic gifts. You're not holding out on gifts that you want to empower people to redeem this world with. So right now, I release that in Jesus' name. More right now. More right now. Some of you, the presence of God is just beginning to fill you right now. Jesus was not a revolutionary because of his ideology. He was a revolutionary because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the foundation of the church. The rock of revelation, Christ in you. Right now, release it in Jesus' name. 